Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC sports. Let's go. Happy Wednesday, everyone, and welcome into the Gramlich and McLean podcast brought to you by Traeger Grills. Mac, we have such an exciting episode today. We're going to talk a little college baseball, mainly because NC State, what are y'all doing? You're out here trying to possibly win a natty. Mac, I feel like the universe might implode if NC State does this. (laughs) And I'm all in. I'm on the state bandwagon. I would love to see it happen. I mean, that team is having some fun. They mean business, and they're just taking it to another level. You know, it's interesting enough when you, you see all these quotes and sound bites you know, from guys and, and people um, amongst the team going into this. And, you know, there was a state player that just said, hey, look, when you decide to come to NC State, it's moments like these, why you did it. And I was kind of like, okay, everybody says that. But that's what they've been able to do. And, and they're ready and they are jacked up and they're excited about it. And our guy this week, he's had a front row view to this for his entire life as an NC State fan, growing up an NC State fan. And that is Ryan McGee. He is this week's Traeger Grills Guest of the Week. Ryan is a senior writer for ESPN.com and is also the co-host of one of the most American shows (laughs) on television. Marty and McGee, you can find that on SEC Network or ESPN Radio. McGee is also a regular contributor to SportsCenter, SEC Nation, SEC Now, and more. McGee is the author of three books, Sidelines and Bloodlines, A Father, His Sons, and Our Life in College Football, which just came out last year. The Road to Omaha, Hits, Hopes, and History at the College World Series, and ESPN Ultimate NASCAR, 100 Defining Moments in Stock Car Racing History. He is also credited with writing the script for the film Dale, the only authorized biography of Dale Earnhardt. Guys, listen, McGee has done it all from starting as a PA at ESPN in 1994 all the way now to being the co-host of his own show. This interview is so much fun. We hope you like it. Let's get to it. This week's guest is brought to you by Traeger Grills. Welcome to the Traegerhood. Brian McGee, welcome to the podcast, my man. Your debut, I've got to tell you from the jump, we're, we're going to be a little bit all over the place today because to be honest, I mean, you're, you're kind of all over the place with everything that you cover with ESPN. And man, I know right now specifically, you're in absolute heaven because you, you're at the pinnacle. You're in Omaha uh, for the College Baseball World Series. How's it been, you being up there these last couple of days? It's been so great, and and it is my, – my favorite events to cover are the ones that belong to the city, you know, whether it's the Indianapolis 500 or, you know, like the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. You can't imagine Omaha and the College World Series being separated. You know, it's, it's just – you think you know, all due respect to the insurance people and – you know the you know people that that the the guys that that raise the cattle and you know grow the corn. When people say Omaha, what do you think of? You think of the College World Series, and so and for years I've come in at the end, like I've come in when it's when it's the championship series. And this year, uh, I asked if I could come in at the beginning with all eight teams here, and uh, and everybody's in a great mood. And um, yeah, and the problem is I can't I can't go down to the lobby of the hotel and get anything to eat because I grew up in Raleigh. And NC State's here, uh, and I, I grew up a state fan, and I graduated from University of Tennessee. So suddenly, everyone I thinks they went to college with me, 
And so, yeah, so I get my room service and take it back to the room. But, but just the atmosphere is just, everybody's in such a great mood. And it's the first thing I've covered where there's not like an asterisk attached to it. Like everything, it, this is the first normal event, uh, you know, that I've been to since a basketball game in early March of 2020. And that's, that feels good, y'all. That is so good to hear. Because I heard that the softball World Series was pretty darn normal and you saw the fans, but... Yep. Um, to see all those fans out in Omaha is is so much fun, and the fact that you grew up a state fan. Okay, we look. We, all, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of a sudden. I'm, I'm, oh wait, my, our connection's going bad. Oh, Sorry, no. McGee. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, you understand more than anyone the the plight of the NC State fan. Now you oh. saw some great basketball teams um, in your youth for sure, but we all we, we know the struggle. The fact that they haven't won. Men's baseball, um, basketball, football, and ACC title in so long. Their women's team is really good. I'm going to give them a shout-out there on hoops. But right. what is going on with the Wolfpack right now? They look almost like, dare I say it, a team of destiny? Put that no, 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 you're right. And and, and we were we were having this conversation, um, you know, after they stunned the world and, and beat Jack Leiter and Vanderbilt. Uh, to get into catbird seat, right? And right. Now they're in that. They're in that. It's it's really hard. Not and all the state fans, I can hear them groaning now. And I say it's really hard to be in that Friday winners bracket and not make it to the championship series. But it's just a great story, and and it's it's the most NC State thing ever to say this. But again, I'm a kid of the kid of the '80s, and my dad played baseball at East Carolina, and my brother played Wake, and so. I grew up in a college baseball house. And when I was a kid, we would go to the Doak, and there'd be 30 of us. It'd be my dad, my brother, myself, and some parents, and maybe a couple scouts. And that was it. But on those teams in the 80s, like eight of those guys played in the big leagues. And that and, and, and for NC State to have only been to the College World Series three times, that's the craziest stat to me. Because anybody that knows the history of that program, whether it's Coach Espo or Trey Tanner or or Elliot Avon, it, it's the history is amazing, and the fact that they've only been it just tells you how difficult it is to get to Omaha. But it's it's the feel good story of the series, and what's cool is Omaha the the people of Omaha always kind of pick a team. You know, I remember when Oregon State made their run and broke you know North Carolina's hearts. Those guys had never been here, and they were fishing during their time off, and the the people of Omaha love that team and. Omaha will adopt a team like, all right, for the next two weeks, you're with us. And states kind of become that team. Mm. And it's the coolest thing. And it's uh, they're not a regular. And uh, and I think that's why the city likes them so much. How about that? I mean, it's been fun to watch. And I think just, again, a team that, you know, around Easter, we were kind of saying, man, maybe a bubble team. And now look at them. You know, they're 2-0 undefeated in the College World Series. They ain't it's scared. Incredible. I can tell you that. That's right. Honestly, too, and I, sometimes I'm guilty of, of, of overly sports writing things, but the way they walked onto the field for for the workout day on Friday, sometimes a team, the way, and again, I'm a Tennessee alum, the opposite was Tennessee. When Tennessee walked out on the field, I was like, ah, they just there was just something a little off. They, but but state, they looked comfortable and they looked like I mean, they looked like they were walking down the ramp at WrestleMania, right? I mean, they were like, all right, you know, the, the, this is not, and they're taking it very seriously. Like there's activities and they're doing the things and they're enjoying themselves. But but this is a business trip, man, and and, um, and nobody in the world expected them to beat Jack Leiter, and they did it, you right? Know, just like nobody expected them to go to Arkansas, and they did no it. Question. And so it's just it's. 
they got a look on their face, man. And y'all, you guys know you're the athletes. I'm the sports writer. Um, when you have that look, man, it, it's 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 hard to beat that crowd. Yeah, no question. Especially like you're just talking about that zone at the right time, getting hot, and that's what that's what makes you know this sport, this this tournament in the College World Series so great is that anybody can get hot and uh, you know go on a run. So let's back things up a little bit. That was our little baseball fix. Uh, had to get it at, from you there, being in Omaha. But let's back things all the way up. You know, born in uh, Rockingham, North Carolina. You said you you lived or grew up in Raleigh a little bit, and then South Carolina some as well. I mean, you're right in the heart of NASCAR country, and, and I know that has been such a huge part of your life, of your career. Can you just dive into that just a little bit for us? And I, I know it's so big, and we could probably talk this whole podcast about it. But just how how did you get the the itch for it, the love for it, and uh, you know some of the things that you've done within NASCAR? It's just, it's osmosis, right? I mean, listen, if you grew up in Brazil, you love soccer. And if you, if you, you know, grew up in, in, in Russia, you love hockey. And for me, um, being from down east and being from Rockingham and, and born on US 1, just a few miles down the road from the racetrack, you know, the North Carolina Motor Speedway, um, you know, my dad, so my, I'm going to, if you're going, we're going to talk about my life, we're going to talk about my dad a lot. That's and right. So my dad, Dr. Jerry McGee, longtime ACC football official. Um, but, but my dad, when I was born, he was, uh, he used to be on pit crews. He was the gas can man for Dave Marcus, who raced in NASCAR forever. Dad was in the army during the Vietnam war. And, um, and when he was in basic training one day, he was like scrubbing toilets and this guy's scrubbing toilets next to him. And he's from Wisconsin. And he says he's a race car driver. And dad's like, okay, whatever. And he said, Dave's, and this guy's name, Dad, my name is Dave Marcus, and I'm a race car driver. And listen, they're building a racetrack in your hometown of Rockingham. I'm going to start coming to Darlington and coming to Raleigh and coming to Charlotte to race. I'm going to need pit crew guys. I'll call you. Dad's like, okay, guy from Wisconsin, the scrubbing toilets, whatever. Well, a few years later, phone rings. And, and my dad, who has never been a mechanic by any stretch, he ended up, I mean, you're talking about the late 1960s, so it's white T-shirt. You know, blue jeans, cigarette, holding, you know, 30 gallons of flammable fuel, right? The and cigarette while exactly, holding yeah, wow. yeah, Everybody around you is smoking, right? And, and you're holding, you're holding, the, yeah, nice. Jerry, you hold this. So, but, 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 you know, again, growing up in the Carolinas and when I was a kid, Richard Petty was the man and, and he was from just up the road and, and, you know, Richard Petty wanted Rockingham all the time and then Kyle Petty wanted Rockingham all the time. And so I became a Richard Petty fan. Now, when I went to work at ESPN right out of college, um, and this is in the mid '90s. I'm, I'm dating myself. I let people know how old I am, but you, you can do the math. You know, there were only a handful of Southerners in the entire company, and and and, he, and no one sounded like me because Reese Davis at this point had scrubbed his his Alabama accent because he's going to be on TV, right? And <laughs> Stu Scott at the time was claiming he was from New York, not not Greensboro. He came around on that later. So I'm the only Southerner in the company. Jeff Gordon suddenly becomes a really big deal. He's winning races and young and good looking and from California and all that. And so NASCAR became cool in Bristol, Connecticut. And I'm working on Sports Center as a production assistant. And all of a sudden, I got Keith Oberman and Dan Patrick and, and these guys coming to me going, okay, you're the NASCAR guy. Could you explain so and so? I'm like, am I the NASCAR guy? And what I realized was, was that I, I didn't know as much as they thought I did. But I knew way more than anybody else in the building. That's and right. So now all of a sudden, I'm calling back to Travers Rest and going, "Hey, wh what does camber mean? Right? You know, what, what's a round a wedge mean?" And, and so, uh, 
we started a, 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 a nightly motorsports show called RPM Tonight on ESPN2, and it got me moved back to Charlotte. So I was only in Bristol for a couple of years. So NAS- I, 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 when Jeff Gordon retired, um, I was at the Homestead Miami Speedway. Jeff almost won the championship in his last race, and uh, and I interviewed him for SportsCenter. And he and I are about the same age, and when it was over with, he shook my hand and he said, thank you. I said, no, no, no. I said, Jeff Gordon, thank you. I said, I literally, my entire career is because you were awesome, you know, in, in the nineties. So uh, otherwise I'm not, I'm not sure what I'd be doing. How about, I mean, there's so That's much incredible. to unpack right there. Something that I just got to ask this because it's not on the script and, you know, you keep bringing it up with the NC state reference, your, your pops working in the ACC. How the heck did you end up at Tennessee and how the heck did you <laughs> not end up on the ACC network, man? What are we doing here? Yeah, you, you sound like Swafford now. I've only known, Swa- I've only known right. Swafford since I was 12 years old, right? And, and uh, yeah, it's Ryan, uh, we can't find something for you to do. I'm like, well, unfortunately, <laughs> the, the other network got out the gate first. No, That's but, right. So, so on Marty McGee, we like to joke that I'm the Kenny Chesney of hometowns because Kenny Chesney um, from Knoxville, Tennessee – but really, it's just his favorite team is whatever team city yeah. he happens to be. In. Right. If you Google Kenny Chesney jersey, he's you know he's a ten- he says he's a Tennessee guy. He's wearing Alabama jerseys and Florida jerseys and Carolina jerseys and everything else. And so, um, I, I was born in Rockingham. Uh, my dad worked at colleges, right? So he was a Gardner Webb. So we lived in Shelby. Uh, he was at Meredith College in Raleigh, which is why we were there the longest. And then while I was in the middle of high school, I, I grew up. Literally on Hillsborough Street. I mean, I was a huge NC State guy. There, when I was a kid, they went cardiac pack and all that. And so we moved to Greenville, South Carolina, because Dad went to work at Furman University during my junior year of high school. So I was really excited about that, right? Uh, moving away and and <laughs> listen, we, we've talked about this before. Green, Greenville's great now. Uh, Greenville in the eight, late eighties was not what it is now. And so I went down there kicking and screaming. So the point is, we moved around a lot. And um, when we moved to South Carolina, I, I, I knew from the, from the jump, my, my freshman year, I went to the high school I went to in Raleigh, Enlow, because they were one of the first high schools to have a television production department. And so when we moved to Greenville, the high school didn't have that. Clemson didn't have that, which was right down the road. Furman didn't have that, which is where Dad was. I couldn't have gotten into Furman anyway. Um, <laughs> South Carolina, South Carolina had it, but all of my friends from high school were going to South Carolina or Clemson and I wanted to do something different. And at the time, uh, the state of North Carolina was kind of closing the borders. They weren't, they, they were, they were trying to focus on in-state students. And so, uh, my dad, a, a referee to game Duke at Tennessee, Duke actually won the game. Spurrier was a Duke and I loved it. And the reason I loved it and I've told everybody, it reminded me of state. Yeah, you know, I've I called it the NC State of the West, and and the Tennessee people don't like hearing that, but engineering and ag and uh, campus in the middle of town, um, a, a medium sized city. You know, Raleigh wasn't that big then, and so it just kind of had. In fact, Stokely Arena, the old basketball arena, looked exactly like Reynolds. It, it, the same guy had designed both of them, so I just I felt like I was at home, and uh, so yeah, and and. And there's also a, a, a pretty equal amount of sports heartbreak. So I was, I've been well-trained for that as a state fan growing up. So I'm hearing it's all your dad's fault. It's all your dad's oh, fault. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's all his And people, fault. it's funny. All my, all my coworkers <laughs> at ESPN.com, you know, as soon as I start talking about dad, they're just like, but that's, you know, 
dad was a NASCAR gas can man. So, okay, like NASCAR. Um, you know, dad was born in Rockingham. That's where I was from. You know, my dad being a college official, college football official, and also a college administrator, I grew up on college campuses. So that's why I love, you know, college sports. So, yeah, to this day, I mean, I wrote a book with dad last year. To this day, um, you know, during the College World Series, my dad who played baseball at East Carolina, he's just texting me like crazy when, when, uh, when State went to the bullpen against Vandy, Dad's texting me like, does State really think they got somebody better than this guy that they're about to pull off the mound? And, you know, a couple of innings later, he's like, never mind. That guy's pretty good. So it's a – you all appreciate this. When I'm, when I'm covering a college football game, Dad was a downfield football official. So he, you know, And so during games, if there's a, a questionable pass interference, literally everyone in the press box will wait and look at me. And, and I'll, I'll hold my hand up like this – Hang That's on, awesome. and I'll wait on the text, and I'll tell. Okay, Dad says no way on the DPI. They're like, oh, okay, that's what I thought. So that's you know, Dad. That is why I am who I am. That's brilliant. That's excellent. I think Mac and I could say that both about our dads as well. And oh, Father's Day just happened. Look at that. Look at look at the synergy there here. We go. love it. There you go, Ryan. Speaking of your dad, you just wrote or your latest book, Sidelines and Bloodlines, which is about college football with your dad and your brother and all that. And you've written a few books now. Yeah. This is kind of an off-the-beaten-path question that I'm curious about, but just the process of writing a book. All three of these books are on different subjects. They're all sports, but they're all different subjects. How does that come about for you? Like, how do you decide, okay, this is my next book, and then you go about doing it? it it's not easy. Um, it, it's gotten easier because I've got reps now, you know, mm-hmm. and, that, and that comes to what, either either how I write it or the difficulty of writing it or just pitching books. You know, it, it's really – Getting the first one is really, really hard. I mean, it's just you know, they're, they're, it's the most difficult thing. And my first, I did a coffee table book about NASCAR years ago when I was writing for ESPN the magazine when ESPN was getting back into NASCAR, and that it was great. But that's a completely different animal. That was really that was about the pictures. Um, but my first real book book was about the College World Series. And again, going back to Dad, you know, Dad, we had always dreamed of going to Omaha, and. Uh, my family would sit there and watch the College World Series and Pete Incaviglia and Robin Ventura and watching all these guys in the 80s and Rosenblatt Stadium with the with the the, the blue and red and yellow seats and it just looked amazing on, on, on ESPN. And so the dream was to go. And so when I had uh, – I just got married, I think, and, and Dad and I came out here and it was everything we hoped that it would be. And I immediately – at that point, we knew Rosenblatt Stadium only had a few years. Mm-hmm. And, and they were going to be closing the old ballpark and building a new one. And I just started pitching hard as I could and went to everyone I knew. And so many of our coworkers mm-hmm. have written books. And so I went to all of them and said, what do I do here? And was very fortunate I finally found a taker. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm always jealous, though, when I, like, talk to Wright Thompson. And he, he takes, like, four years to write a book. Because every book I've written has had the, has had a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, you know, you get the deal done. They're like, man, it'd be great if we'd have this for next fall. I'm like, it's April, you know. And so, so it's uh, one day I want to do the I want to do the slow burn, you know, book writing thing. But the, the process is um, it's all about the editor, you know. And 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 I'm kind of trained that way because of of yeah, I've written for for so long for ESPN.com or, or ESPN the magazine or whoever. So it's all about once you get your editor and you get to know them you know pretty quick what the process is going to be like. But but it's, um, you know, the book I wrote with the dad and my brother, Sidelines of Bloodlines, you know, 
I was writing a lot in their voices too, because it just gave them pages and let them tell their own story. Now, I co-wrote a book with Delano Hart Jr., and it was it, that was my only ghostwriting gig where it was in his voice. Thankfully, he and I sound a lot alike and use the same language. But it, but it's but it's just it's a different process. But it's fun. It's hard. People always say, "Oh, it's hard to write a book," and it is. I mean, it's it's not easy. But it's uh, but there's no better feeling than opening that first box that comes oh, from I the bet. publisher and holding it in your hand. That's that's the cool. When Marty wrote his book, we were eight, we were at SEC Media Days when he got his first. Like they shipped it to him at the at the uh, hotel, and I was I got to watch him. I, I figured I have video of it somewhere. I got to watch him open the package and hold it in his hand for the first time. And all due respect to eBooks and you know e readers and all that other stuff, the, holding it in your hand is still the greatest. Can't imagine that. I mean, what what an accomplishment! All that work, all the time. I, I know it only takes you like four weeks to do it, but you know when you, yeah. you do get to do it in four years, I can only imagine that's going to be an, another feeling. Let's move on to the worldwide leader because you you spoke a little bit, you know, looking at colleges and, and kind of saying, okay, they don't have, you know, this kind of area that I want to study. When did you know, um, you know, that you wanted to be in sports media, cover sports? Was that something, you know, growing up, I, I'd figure you wanted to be a NASCAR driver, uh, but yeah. you kind of hinted uh, <laughs> at maybe dreams of covering sports instead. Well, talking to a couple of athletes, um, what I learned very quickly was, was that, um, the McGee jeans are great, but the McGee jeans, I was never going to be big enough or, or, or fast enough or strong enough. I, was, I wasn't a bad runner in high school at Travers Rest, go Devil Dogs. But, the, um, but, I, but I, was, I certainly wasn't enough, good enough to, to, to pursue anything. But what I learned was, and again, this goes back to growing up in Raleigh, when Dad broke into the ACC as a, as a, as a football official, we, because we lived in Raleigh, he could not work NC State games. That was great for me because what it did mean was he could work every scrimmage and every single practice. And so I spent so much time at Carter-Finley Stadium, and I was immediately drawn to the local media who were there to cover the practice. You know, Tom Suter at WRAL in Raleigh was my hero. And, um, you know, Colton Tudor from the Raleigh News Observer and, and, you know, all these guys were were at at the stadium you know, covering scrimmages and practices, and I was immediately drawn to them. And my brother was drawn to the field as like a ball boy. And I and my brother, who my brother's fine. He went to Yale Law, but went to Wake and Yale Law. But he, I think there's a part of him he wishes he had pursued officiating. Like he, I think he wishes he had been a referee like that. He, he would have been so good at it. Um, but I just was immediately drawn to uh, the press box. And I the for my first credentials. Sideline credentials were for a, um, a North Carolina at Virginia football. Both of them in their top ten. So this will tell you this is a while ago, and um, I was twelve years old. I think I maybe just turned thirteen. I had my camera that Santa Claus had brought me the year before, and I was on the sideline, you know, uh, in Charlottesville with all the photographers from the Washington Post and <laughs> and you know and the Raleigh News Observer and whatever else. And I remember being on the sideline, and then at halftime, they're like, hey, kid, come with us. And we walked up through the stands and went to the press box, and they gave us like a barbecue sandwich and, you know, Pepsi and a cookie. And I was like, it was done. halftime, we walked back down. I'm like, I'm like, are they all getting paid to do this? And and that game, I got blown up. I was um, I have a great picture of Barry Word score the game-winning touchdown. And in the background, you can see the the North Carolina linebacker who, who, who was way behind the play. And – 
the linebacker missed Barry Ward and he hit me. Got in Micah Moon, blew me up, and I might have weighed 80 pounds. <laughs> and I hit that old nasty turf at Virginia and all this stuff, and, and they were picking me up and literally everything flying out of my pockets and broke my camera and everything else. And I was like, this is the greatest thing <laughs> in the history of the world. So I the, immediately I was just like – my favorite part, and y'all, y'all probably agree with me on this. The best part, the games are great, but what I loved immediately, just as like a twelve-year-old, was getting there early, hmm. and they're painting the lines on the field, and you know maybe maybe the quarterbacks out there warming up, and and playing music on the loudspeakers, and the stadium's empty, and they're getting the sidelines set up, and I just I couldn't believe that I got to be there for that, and, and so you know, knock on wood. Uh, they're still letting me do it. The goal is to get paid to do that, and, um, and don't tell anybody. But you know, they're still uh, they're still paying me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I that's something too that I always loved as a player was just the empty gym when you're out there getting shots up or whatever it is, and it's just so serene. It was it was one of my favorite parts of it. But let's talk right about your relationship with Marty, who's become kind of yep. your partner in crime, I would say, um, and your and show. McGee and is who I am. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I, on the ele- I was on the elevator the other day at the College World Series, and a bunch of the Mississippi State players were on the elevator. And this one guy goes, he goes, hey, Marty. And I just <laughs> turned and looked at him, and the other guy goes, that ain't Marty. That's Ann McGee. Oh, so my gosh. So, yeah, so, that's, so that, that's who I am. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Well, how did this – because I know you guys have known each other for a long time, but – how did it come about, and how did the show come about? Well, um, I, I first Marty and I can't remember when we first met, but I but I know it was when um, he's just a tick younger than I am. He does he thinks we're the same age. Don't tell him if he's listening to this, he'll figure it out. But the uh, but uh, Marty was writing for the Roanoke Times. Um, he right out of Radford. He played baseball at Carson Newman for a year, and then he went to Radford. And at that time, I was a field producer for ESPN. So I was going to the racetrack every weekend, um, you know, with my reporters and all that. And that's where I met him. I met him, at, I think, probably the South Boston Speedway or, or Martinsville, somewhere there in Virginia at a racetrack. And so we we knew each other. And eventually he ended up at NASCAR.com. And uh, and I went, I left ESPN to go produce a, a nightly uh, NASCAR show for Fox Sports Net back then called Totally NASCAR. And I needed – I kept saying I needed Peter Gammon's insider. Like I needed, I needed like a, I needed, you know, a, a, an Adam Schefter is what mm-hmm. I needed. Cause I had, I had a great analyst, but I didn't really have the insider. And so as a TV producer, uh, we reached out to Marty, who was a, a young columnist at NASCAR.com. Then, and I said, Hey, would you, would you be willing to come in and maybe on a Wednesday night be on the show? So I'm, Anybody, everybody out there that doesn't like Marty, it's my fault because I'm the fr- I was I was the first producer to put him on TV. But then oh, wow. I, yeah, but then uh, when that when ESPN got back into NASCAR in what 2007, uh, Marty at this time was all over Speed Channel and Fox Sports Net and all that, and so they brought him in as their lead reporter. And the, that the very next year, I re- I came back to ESPN to write for ESPN Magazine full time, and so we've never really worked together except for a few a handful of shows when I was in his ear as a producer. And so uh, fast forward to, I guess, about seven years ago, six years ago, Marty and I were riding together to the Martinsville Speedway um, to go work sports center. And, and uh, we should do a show called NASCAR now. And I, I drove up to, I live in South Charlotte. He lives, uh, he lives with all the rich people at Lake Norman. And so I went and picked him up 
And then we drove up to Martinsville, and it's a couple hours. And we laughed from the time we left his house to the time we got to the track. And then that night, same thing. And and I, I looked at it, my, my producer hat was suddenly back on, and I'm like, I think people would dig this. Like just what we've been talking about. We took a selfie with the with the red, white, and blue American painted like cow statue we found at some ranch on the side of the road somewhere in Virginia. And I was like, I swear I think people would do this. And so he and I both reached out to the people that ran ESPN podcasts at the time. And they're like, Yeah, we'll try it. And uh and eventually radio um picked us up and we were on ESPN radio on Saturday afternoons at three o'clock, which was clearly just the, you know, it was an audition slot and eventually we moved to Saturday morning. And so, I mean, listen, you guys clearly are friends and it's very obvious when I listen to this podcast and I hope that that's how people feel about, you know, Marty McGee, because you just, you get, you guys know, you can't replicate it. You know, as a producer, yeah, you would try all these different combinations of people on a, on a set, like in a studio and either worked or it didn't and didn't have anything to do with producing the people either liked each other or they didn't. Right. And so Marty and I are friends and we've been friends for gosh, 20 years. And so, um, I would love to tell y'all that doing that show is really hard, but it's not. They just, they, and they, li- and, and thankfully we have bosses who let us be us. Right. That's, I mean, that's so Mac, much I think fun. we should start calling you and McLean. That's right. Yeah. And McLean. Right. Yeah. There you go. There you go. That's it. I'm down that's for it. that. But, uh, so, hey, we all do all these radio interviews all the time. Right. And I, I got on when I was promoting the sidelines of bloodlines book, I was on with, you know, I was on with, you know, slappy and Jughead on, you know, at whatever, whatever sports talk station, you know, Raleigh channel eight. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So right off the bat, you know, I got this guy and he's, you know, he's, he's like frat guy and he, he's like, Hey, he goes, Hey McGee, what's it like being the other guy in Wham? And I go, I go, you talking about Marty McGee? He said, Yeah. I said, All right. I said, Let's, I said, Let's talk about the other guy in Wham. And they go, Okay. And listen, I, I and I, Marty's a huge, Marty's famous. He's a big deal. You know, I, I take a lot of pictures of Marty with people, like when we're in the airports. <laughs> and, hey, Marty. And, hey, can you take a picture? But I said, Let's talk about the other guy in Wham for a second. The guy's like, What? I go, His name's Andrew Ridgely. I go, He wrote most of the songs. I go, He had the publishing on the songs. Mm. I said, when Wham broke up, I said, Andrew Ridgely married the best looking girl from Bananarama. I said, and they, uh, they live in a castle in Scotland. I go, and George Michael's dead. I said, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I said, I said, I said, Andrew, I, I said Andrew Ridgely's pretty good gig, man. And. And then I never heard from that guy he again. He had no idea what to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, did you, yeah. You, so, you were ready for that question. Um, well, I just, again, I'm a kid of the 80s, man. I know right. entirely, too. I wanted to marry the girl from Banana Ranch. So, yeah, I'm sure. That. I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, just that energy, that friendship that, you know, you were talking about with Marty. You know, I had the great privilege to work with you guys in South Carolina's first ever, you know, bowl game, the Myrtle Beach yeah. Bowl. And, and there you just go. going into it, man. I, I mean, I knew it was there was a reason that you guys were a part of it, but it was fun to actually, you know, be in the meetings together and see how you guys work because it's exactly what we see on TV is it's so real. It's so just who you are that it's hard to fake. And, uh, you know, it's, it's cool to, you know, work with one of your best friends. And I have the privilege of that on this podcast. And of course, with our show with the ACC network, it's uh, a, it's a lot of fun, but you know, before we move on to some football questions, because I do want to ask you some of those and get you out of here because I know you've got a really busy day. You've done so much with with NASCAR, with college baseball, and with college football. Do you have a favorite memory for, for maybe each three? And, and you don't have to go into a super long story, but just 
if there's if there's one moment or or race or game do you have one for each three probably with your dad your brothers um you know just doing some crazy stuff yeah i mean for for um for college baseball, I mean, I I joke that I wrote, you know I say I wrote a New York Times best selling book with Dale Jr. and I wrote a New York Times worst selling book about the College World Series, the Road <laughs> to Omaha. But but that year, um, two thousand eight was the, the 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 series I wrote the book about, and and it was really about the history of the series. But but the but the, the that series itself was kind of the you know the 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 stage for for the bigger story. That's the year Fresno State. You know, won the championship, and and it for folks that don't know how college baseball works, you know, you you have all these regionals. You have sixty four teams like basketball, and you have all these regionals, and every regional is ranked one through four. And so, when you're a four seed at a regional, you're the equivalent of a sixteen, you know, in, in a tournament in the basketball tournament. And so, for um for Fresno State, who had to win their last regular season series to make their conference tournament, then they had to win their conference tournament, the WAC, to make the NCAA's. And started came in as a four seed, you know, had an, immediately lost her first game, had to fight through a hole to get to the Super Regional. Lost first game, had to fight through a hole to get to the College World Series, and then they won the series with a bunch of guys you never heard of. And 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 this was a series that included Florida State and included LSU, it included Miami, and I mean, all the royalty. And uh, and and they ended up winning the championship. And and that that one, and it was in Rosenblatt Stadium. That that was that was a special experience, and and it went back to the first time I went to Rosenblatt with my dad, and uh, I remember calling him every night at one o'clock in the morning. Can you believe what Fresno did? You know, um, and then for college football, it goes back to my dad. His dad's dad's first Division One game uh, was at Clemson in nineteen eighty one. Come on, his his last game was the two thousand nine BCS national championship, and. Um, I was there with ESPN the magazine and was on the sideline. Uh, you know, he was a field judge, so he was always downfield. And so I would, from the time I was a kid, I would stand on the sideline and talk to Dad during games. And we kind of had a rhythm. You know, he wouldn't turn around and look at me. But I just knew when to, when I could talk to him and ask him a question or whatever. You okay? I'm great. And and I did that for the last few minutes of that national championship game, and then ran off the field with him. You know, the game ended. And all the media ran out onto the field to go to the 50-yard line to do their thing. And I took off in the other direction with my arm around Dad as we, you know, went out the tunnel for wow. his last game. And that, that, to me, that one was, that one was pretty special. And then for NASCAR, um, you know, there were so many moments. But, um, uh, you know, you, you can't – I mean, you can't beat Del Earnhardt's – Del Earnhardt winning the Daytona 500 in 1998. That, that's pretty good. And, um, you know, that was uh, – and I, I haven't been doing it very long. I'm like, I can't believe again. I can't believe they're paying me to be here today. So no, it's there's there are there are a lot of stories, and then there are a lot of stories I can't tell on the podcast. We'll have to uh, if I come to <laughs> sure. I come to ACC right. kickoff, we'll get we'll get uh we'll go to the hotel bar and I'll tell those stories. That's right. That sounds good. I'm so sorry that your dad's last game was that game where Colt got hurt and Texas would have won. No, no, no. This was the next year. Oh yeah, no, this was okay. the next year. Right. Yeah. This is so this this was. Uh, this was Tebow Bradford. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, down, down in Miami, and it was, uh, yeah, the only time Tebow was ever flagged for a personal foul, and my dad did not throw the flag, but uh, but Tebow is convinced that he did. So, but I'm like, well, you shouldn't have done the stupid Gator Chomp. Yeah, we right. did it again. Right. Yeah. No, the painful thing for me as a Tennessee alum was Dad's last game was a Florida national championship. Oh, I'm, so sure. You couldn't, I'm sure. You couldn't. You couldn't come back doing nothing, oh, do no. one more year. But he had so. I mean, and if you read the book, the sidelines of blood, it's a Clemson book. 
I keep telling everybody at Clemson, you got to read this book because it's it, it's worth reading the book just for the Danny Ford stories. But I, I just remember growing up in Raleigh. No offense to Carter Finley and Wallace Wade and Keenan and and you know uh, what we used to call Grove Stadium, Wake Forest. That those were the places I grew up going. And Dad had his first game at Clemson, and him calling us from down there and going, "Y'all are not going to believe this," because it was. Uh, I mean, it was the Tiger Paws going in and. You know, at the time, like 80,000 people and nothing else in the conference was even close to it. And so that his next game, he took us. And we just were like, oh, <laughs> this is college football. Come on. That's right. Okay, that's yeah. actually the perfect transition to talk about the ACC this year because the what you just said, nothing in the, in the conference compares to Clemson. That's kind of been the story the last couple of years. And, you know, let's start with the Coastal. We've asked a lot of guests about this. We all know that North Carolina is the favorite. I guess the question is, are you a believer? Are you a believer in the heels? Oh, sure. And, and it's funny. So my daughter now is a rising junior in high school. We were visiting colleges. And um, uh, we went to we, – we kind of gave her the first sampler. We went over to state, big school, went to, went to a couple smaller schools. And she's like, well, can we go through Chapel Hill? And – I may have driven through campus really quickly. I don't, we didn't really, we didn't, we didn't, I didn't. I didn't schedule a campus tour. Yeah, I still got. I, I still got some of that in me. But we did go into Keenan Stadium, and Mac Brown football camp was going on, and saw Coach, and and um, I love that man so much. And um, yeah, I believe, and 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 I believe because I've known Mac Brown long enough that you know I, th- this is my favorite time of year to talk to coaches because when spring ball is going on. They all lie to you. Everything's great. Yeah. And, you know, whatever else. And then when we get to, you know, ACC kickoff, same thing. Oh, man, we're here, here we go. I'm really excited about this class and whatever else. But when you see them in June and you don't have your recorder on and you're just standing there with shorts and flip flops, they were very honest with you. And I could, I can tell when I talk to Mac that he knows he's got something. Um, and, and so, so that's, I take my cues from him, but yeah, I'm a believer. I mean, I think, I think um, the uh, the spaghetti pile division of college football is what I always called it because you have no idea what you're looking at or who's going to be on top or whatever, and so it's just been waiting on someone to seize control of it. And uh, and now, very quietly, that division's kind of getting their act together. And so, yeah, that's a really long way of saying absolutely, I'm a believer. Okay. I, I like that. That's good insight there, talking to Mac when he's in flip-flops at his camp. We love that. Um, yeah. the Atlantic. He's so good at that stuff. Man. Yeah, he he's just, yeah, he's so smooth. Hey, Ron, is this your daughter? Is she going to oh, come yeah. in? I was like, no, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, and she's she like, oh, uh, yeah. Here. Hey, coach. Of yeah. course I'm coming. Like, this, is, this is great. I'm like, it ain't that great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, in the Atlantic, we can talk a little NC State here uh, because NC State is coming off a pretty good year. Who do you think, if anybody in that Atlantic, maybe Boston College, will at least challenge Clemson? We know Clemson has the tendency to slip up maybe once per year at times. So which team do you think in your the Atlantic? Word, your word's not mine, up? everybody. <laughs> hey, hashtag all in. It's a I fact. Hear hashtag all in. Yeah, no, it, it is a fact. Yeah. You know, and it's and it's um uh I've always, and I've always wondered about that phenomenon too, because because it's um, you know, you never see Alabama do that. And and you know Ohio State very rarely does that, and I always wonder where that comes from. And I, but I, but that's you know, uh, I mean, as an athlete, I think there is a, I think you know how good you are sometimes, and as a team, you know how good you are. Maybe you're just not 
you catch the wrong matchup at the wrong time. But no, I just it's um what I always say about what I'm tell what I'm telling NC State fans in the hotel lobby in, in Omaha because they want to talk about football too. And what I say to them is I say I don't believe that NC State is good enough to win the ACC, but I believe they are good enough to ruin it for someone else. Ooh, and and, and so it's um. Uh, you know, again, very quietly, they're kind of getting their act together. Part, again, part of my daughter's college tours, I took her to Carter Finley. We found an open gate and went in. And, um, and that, again, there's just a little bit of a vibe there. But, yeah, I, you know, and if you're going to catch Clemson, um, you know, the year after Trevor Lawrence leaves is probably a good year, you know, if you're going to sneak in there. But, but to me, um, that also seems like an opportunity for Clemson to just shore it up. You know, that's mm-hmm. If it's a team that occasionally will lack some motivation, like we're talking about the one week per season, um, you know, I think we all know Coach Swinney well enough to know that uh, he 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 will walk all the way around the building to figure out a way to feel disrespected. <laughs> and so, uh, so the, your boy Flybomb's doing a great job of giving him uh. a short walk. By the way. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's easy material, but yeah, that's, that's right. all a really long way of saying no one's going to beat Clemson. But I think that um, I think that if anybody's going to have a chance to catch them on an off day, then uh, then yeah, and listen, I, we we all keep kind of waiting on Miami, yeah, to be Miami again. And full disclosure, I mentioned when I was a production assistant at ESPN right out of college. I mean, Manny Diaz was my dude. I played softball with him. I mean, Manny, Manny Come was on. a PA at ESPN. Manny, I, I mean, we, we, he lived in an apartment across the hall from me. Um, I love that guy, and and I'm I, I I have no I have no blood in the Miami deal, but I just I, I want him to succeed because I like him so much, and I think very quietly. They had a lot more work to do than people realized, right. and Manny certainly realized it. So very quietly, I, I feel like they're getting there. No, no question. They've they've got some dudes coming back, some guys transferring in. You know, Miami should be if De'Aaron King is is healthy and ready to go. He's um, so good. He's, he's good. Just, the, the, he's so the killer good. The deal is you got to keep him healthy. But I, you know, I, I I covered him a little bit in his first gig, and uh, he he's really good if he gets rolling. They yeah. just got to give him some room to work. No question. Let's look big picture here at, at the playoff and kind of a future picture. I, I, I want to start with this 12-team playoff. What, what are your thoughts on it? You're for it? You excited about it? Do you hate it? Tell me tell me your initial thoughts on this 12, 12-team deal. I hate 12. <laughs> like, That's a big number. Make it divisible by four. I just don't get it. You know, yeah. you, you know eight or 16. I, you know, I, but I just – but 12 is just – yeah, but I just but twelve. I don't want sixteen, but make it divisible by four if you're sure. going to do it. I just, but I think buys. I hate it. I, I, I think buys are so NFL, and it's just you know what I love about college football is it doesn't resemble the National Football League, and so you're giving me a twelve team playoff where where teams are getting buys based on where they finished in the red, I just it's just it's it's it just feels super super I don't watch any NFL. I just don't. I I, I follow individual athletes that I like Baker Mayfield, I, I spent I, I worked on a lot of stuff around him at Oklahoma. So I I don't I'm not a Browns fan, but I follow I follow Baker. You know, I follow the athletes that I covered and I'll follow Trevor Lawrence closely because I I covered him so much, you know, Clemson. So um but I just I, I don't like the NFL I think it's boring. Um, everybody runs the same offense, runs the same defense. Everybody has the same <laughs> coaches that rotate. It's just right. but 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 so anything you're doing that looks like the NFL, I just 
I just don't get it. I just I, I, I wanted in the beginning, I wanted it to be eight teams. And then eventually I came around on four. I wrote a big column about it. four is great. You know, make it hard to get in. Um, and I get why you – but expansion was inevitable. We all knew that. But I just I just can't – I don't understand the process of all of them getting in a room and thinking that, that 12 was the answer. I just – that drives me – that drives me bonkers. But, you know, I, but yeah, I hate buys. I hate them, hate them, hate them, hate them. So that's, that's – I've been screaming that forever. So that, that's, that's my issue. Especially with it. when you don't get a home game if you get the buy. Right, like, right. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. I just, but but I I don't I'm I don't believe that it will damage the integrity of the regular season. You know, initially that was my initial reaction, but the mm-hmm. more I think about it, the more I think about the fact that, and I've said this all along too for, to the expansion people, which is, you know, I covered a lot of conference championship games that meant nothing, but the last several years they really meant something. Yeah, you know, you know, even in the ACC, which has been a mismatch a lot of years, it still meant something. Yep. You know, I, you know, when Georgia Tech suddenly had. Clemson sweating one year. I was like, okay, we we might we got something going on here. And so I just I just uh, those games mean to me the bracket already existed. You know, if you included the conference championship games and rivalry weekend before that, and even the weekend before that, the bracket was there. Mm-hmm. So you know, but the expansion, I get it. I just don't. I don't. I cannot for the life of me figure out how that group of very smart people sat there and thought twelve was the answer. But, you know, <laughs> I think we're all in agreement. I think we we love expansion. We want more people involved, but the number. When I saw that number, we I was just so taken aback, and and just like you, I'm kind of like, how the heck did we get here? Yeah, how, how was twelve? I just, and, and listen, and I, I'm, and we all of the Power Five, we work for networks that are Power Five networks. But I'm also a big believer in, in the little guy, and and I use little in air quotes. But I I love it when US UCF does their thing. Oh yeah, and I love it when BYU does their thing, and and I love it when you know Hawaii makes it to the Sugar Bowl. I mean, I, I, Boise or whatever. I want I want that moment to exist. And um uh and you know talked to Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina about it and you know, he immediately said to me he goes now I can recruit and say if you come to Coastal Carolina you have a chance to play for a national championship that's right and that's not an exaggeration yeah. it's not a stretch it's a fact and but the system will always be rigged against them it's always going to be rigged against them but at least now they get a they get a seat at the table but but yeah but I just I don't I am I'm I'm not I'm terrible at math but but I do know that that uh. <laughs> D- divisible by four makes a lot more sense than than whatever. When they put it out there, I actually I thought maybe I'm doing the math wrong. Like I sat there and thought, all right, maybe I'm. I, I, I literally on a sheet of paper wrote out twelve teams and tried to divide it by four and couldn't do it. I'm like, what are we doing? So yeah, <laughs> I get a little irritated. I love it. All right, last last one for you. It's late June, almost July. Who will be in the college football playoff this year? No pressure. Um, we're going to hold you to this. We're going to bring it up all year. Yeah. I'm just kidding. We're, we're not going to do that. No, well, people and and people don't want to hear it, but you know the 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 I'm sick of Clemson and Alabama crowd. Um, you know, we just did all the CFB 150 stuff a couple of years ago, and and what we learned, what I learned was was that in 150 years of college football, certainly the last 80, you know, it, it's really about 20 schools. Not even. It's really about ten schools that 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 either won the national championship or played for the national championship or whatever. So if we had dropped the playoff into the into the history timeline of college football in the nineties, everybody would have been sick of hearing about Florida State and uh, and Tennessee and Miami and you know it, it's, just, it's just wherever you drop it, you know it, you would have been sick. This is just the era that we're in right now. I say all that to say this: it'll be Alabama <laughs> 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 and it'll be Clemson. 
And, um, and, and you know, the other, I, I have my questions about Ohio State just because I think they got, they've got a little bit of, of repairing to do. I love Ryan Day. I, I, I was not an Urban Meyer guy. I never have been, but I love Ryan Day. And so, yeah, you go with the three of them. And, and, um, and you know, I don't want to just automatically say Oklahoma, but it just feels like it's the same four. So, anyhow, that's really boring. I've sat here and tried to figure out some way to, you know, work somebody else in there. But I think that Georgia has a chance to crash it. Uh, I think Texas A&M has a really great chance to crash it. Um, I know they're chomping at the bit to go to, to an expanded playoff because now they'll get in. Yeah. Um, what about the heels? Uh, yeah, I don't know if the heels are playoff ready, but 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 um, I I put I put the rest of the ACC all in that bucket I just talked about with State, which is I think you might be good enough to sneak into the ACC championship. You might be good enough to to beat Clemson on a weekend, but in the current fourteen playoff, I don't know that uh, I don't know that you're I don't think Carolina Carolina's not at the not at that Alabama level yet, Clemson level yet, depth wise. But but they're getting there. They're they're moving in the right direction. Well, you heard it here first. The most boring answer possible. I'm honestly, I sat here and tried tried to figure out a way to to get us to get us to a different result because I know people are hating me, but it but it's uh, it just is what it is. And uh, sorry, Pac-12, I tried, but I got nothing. Man, well, well, this was so much fun. Thank you for your time. Go enjoy Omaha. Go get a, a hot dog, a, a traveling taco, whatever you do, whatever your ritual is there. I'm going to the Drover. I'm literally going to the Drover for brunch, basically. The Drover is the go-to <laughs> steakhouse, and uh, mm. before I leave town, I got to go there. So don't don't tell my doctor. I'll take an extra crust or, and then I'll go to the Drover to have uh, like, like, like a 1045 steak. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you again, man. Thank you for your time. This was This was super, super fun. Yeah, y'all call me anytime. Absolutely. We will, buddy. Thanks, Ryan. See you, man. Ryan McGee, what a guy with stories for days and joining us live from Omaha, which we really appreciate (laughs) his knowledge when it comes to college baseball, NASCAR, college football, college basketball, whatever it is. I feel like we could have talked to him for two, three, four hours, Mac. And the one, you know, uh, constant in all of his stories, it seems, was his dad. He had so many great stories about his dad. You and I, of course, can thank our dads for really getting us into sports as well. But I, I just I love that tidbit, Mac. I did, too. And and the fact that, like you, you said in the interview, you know, we just had Father's Day. We just celebrated that to just hear how, you know, instrumental his dad was throughout his career. I'm sure that they had you know, really nice Father's Day, at least conversation. And uh, Kelly Graham, look, I had a pretty nice Father's Day as well. I went to Sumter, South Carolina. Uh, we fired it up on the Traeger grill and had an absolute I'm blast. I'm shocked. Yeah, are, are, you, are you shocked? Uh, we, we had a good time, though. And, and just the, the, the diversity of the Traeger grill. I know you guys hear me talk about it all the time. You see it on social media. But listen to what I did, guys. So we smoked some ribeye steaks. So I reverse seared them. So we cooked these steaks at 200 degrees for an hour. And when you take it off, it looks like jerky. It's the weirdest thing. It's kind of nasty. You don't want to do it. But I had a method to the madness. So I took it off after an hour. I put on cauliflower steaks. My mom, she's probably, she's changed to about 80% vegan. She'll still eat some meat every now and again, but she tries to go super vegan. My mother-in-law, Beth Smith, She's 100% vegan. And then khaki, she'll dip her toe into some veganism as well. So I cook cauliflower steaks for them. 
So I just had prime, you know, this great meat on there, take it off, put on a cauliflower steak, take that off. And now I am grilling at 500 degrees for that nice crust on your steak. And that just, it shows you the versatility of the grill. You go from cow to cauliflower back to cow and you've got the perfect meal. But that's, I mean, that that's why Traeger's so cool. It is the only wood-fired grill uh, that smokes, grills, barbecues, and even bakes. I used to think, Kelly, that you had to have, you know, this grill for that, this smoker for that. Let's throw that all out the window. All you need is a Traeger because it does everything, and it does everything better. That's why Traeger is the official grill of Gramlich and Mac Lane. And the fact is, nothing beats the flavor of food cooked over pure wood fire. Guys, trust me, go visit Traeger.com. Check out your Traeger today and it'll change your life. I promise you. From cow to cauliflower and everything <laughs> in between. That sounds oh, like a man. great commercial. I-, I need to pitch that to our friends over at Traeger. You should. In a this or that, do you choose cow or cauliflower? I think mm. I'd go with cow. Mm. It is now don't time, Mac, don't, for don't our- Don't knock it till you try it. Well, don't okay, I'm sure the cauliflower it. was good. I'm sure the cauliflower was good. It's time for our this or that segment where we give you two options. Each of us choose this or that, and we debate. And these almost always have to do with college football. So let's get into our first one, Mac. We talked about this with Ryan McGee a little bit. This or that, the team that will challenge. We might say the team that will um, do its best to challenge Clemson in the Atlantic Division. Is it this or that? Is it NC State or Boston College, Mac? So this one, I purposely put these two teams on here because they are going to be very different, you know, I think. I think NC State's defense is going to be really, really good. They have so much experience coming back. They have a couple of really key transfers along that defensive line that I think are going to make them scary. But the the focal point of that team is going to be the linebacking core. You look at Isaiah Moore. You look at Peyton Wilson, who I think is going to be one of the best linebackers in the country. They're going to be the real deal defensively. They, they have so much experience on the back end. You know, you remember two, three years ago, riddled with injury. So all those guys are now grown up. They're junior seniors. They know how to play. I think that that could be a scary game. When you look at Boston College, it's all about the offense. It's, it's all about Phil, Phil Jerkovic, a guy who is going to be able to sling the ball all around the yard. These wide receivers that we're seeing grow up. Uh, especially Zay Flowers. I mean, one of the most dynamic players in the ACC. And now with a transfer tight end who's six foot seven, two fifty, and runs like a deer, and Trey Berry for Boston College, that's just another weapon to add. So it, it's super hard to pick this. I think I have to stay on my that side, which is Boston College, just because I'm I'm really I think I'm riding this train into the group wherever the wherever the Halfley train goes, I'm going. <laughs> Uh, so I, I think, Kelly, I'm going to lean with Boston College. What about you? I respect it. And I love everything you said about BC. I think Jerkovic is is the better quarterback of these two. I like Devin Leary. I would take Jerkovic. But I think the team that's more balanced is NC State with Bam Knight slash Zonovan Knight, whatever he wants to be called now, who we know can run the ball. Think The thing is with State is we know they can run the ball at least a little bit. They weren't great last year, but they can run it some. Devin Leary's returning, like you said, Good things coming for that state defense. And there's two things here why I think I'm going to go with state. A, Clemson and state didn't play last year. So you haven't seen much of Devin Leary. You haven't seen much of Bam Knight. There's a lack of familiarity for Clemson, which might help state. And then secondly, this game is so early, September 25th, and it's in Raleigh. Let me tell you what I know about this game. 
Raleigh's going to be rocking, probably going to be a night game. So that will help a little bit, but I also know it's going to be miserably hot. I can almost guarantee that. And it reminds me a little bit of the North Carolina-Clemson game a couple years ago. You catch Clemson early. Clemson's still figuring out some things with DJU. State is an experienced team. So I'm really circling that game for Clemson. I still would take Clemson right now if, if you pushed me to it, of course, but I'm going to go with NC State for all the reasons I just said, Eric McLean. How about that? So a little bit of split. So, guys, you're going to have to go on Twitter. You're going to have to go on Instagram and, uh, you know, prove who's right. Is it Kelly oh, or is it myself? Matt, and, you know, I think State's regionally taking over the world. Are, yeah, that's right. They're suddenly good at everything. <laughs> I think NC State <laughs> might uh, might win this on, on the social media battle, but we'll see. It's going to be a fun. And those games, I believe, are, are back-to-back, right, Kelly? Clemson plays those guys. Week in between. Week in between. Week in between. So it, it's yeah. close. So it's going to be a it'll lot be, of good football uh, for Clemson. Obviously, two very early uh, tests for them. All right, now we're going to move on to my question for this or that. Would you rather, or, or this or that, excuse me, open up your college football season against a top 10 opponent and really just out the gate, you've got to be ready, you've got to go? Or, Kelly, if you were the athletic director slash head, slash head coach, would you rather have a warm-up game? Uh, before you know you you are the decision maker here you you are scheduling your your team you want to get them right which way are you going this is really tough by the way Mac you were right those games are back to back for Clemson oh thank you so way to go you're correct (laughs) okay top 10 or a warm-up game man this is absolutely a brutal question Mac this may be the toughest one you've asked me because for your team especially if you're breaking in a new quarterback or whatever it is you're going to want to have that warm-up game but from a monetary standpoint from an exposure standpoint for your fans and the excitement for the season you're going to want to open with the top 10 again I'm assuming in this question that I have a decent program I'm not an atrocious <laughs> program I'm not the 80 at Kansas or something that's right so you I'm yourself go... you yourself are a top five team so there we go if that helps oh 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 yeah, okay. you're feeling good I'm gonna go with that top 10 matchup I don't think you can beat the exposure the excitement um obviously the money you're bringing in from that game but it's going to get your fans so ready for the season. And especially, you know, you're banking on your team. If you win that, you have, uh, as, as our friend Ryan McGee would say, you're in the catbird seat for the playoff and for everything else. And if you lose it, here's the thing. It's a good loss, and you still can accomplish almost all of your goals. So I'm going to go top 10 opponent, Mac. What about you? Come on, Kelly. I, I love that. And I can just tell you guys from, you know, being a player and having experience, really both. I think I was split. I played, obviously, five years, but... I think we opened maybe with more top tier opponents than we didn't. I love that. And that's what I want to do. You know, I, I don't want to have a warm up game. I had a spring game. I had a thousand right. scrimmages. I want to be rocking against somebody that I know could potentially beat us. Somebody that is, it's, we need to be ready and we need to be sharp because I think the energy in fall camp, I think the energy leading up to that game, there's just so much more laser focus of, okay, you know, we can kind of slack around and, and we're still going to beat Kent State. You know, I, I don't like that feeling. So I always loved the years where we knew we had to be on and ready from the jump. And uh, so I'm right there with you. I, I want to schedule a top 10 opponent from the get-go. And that's hard, you know, with football. And I, I will never understand this, Kelly. And, and, you know, hopefully one day, you know, I want to be in college athletics. I might do the whole ESPN thing till I can't anymore. But I, I do love college football and, and athletics as a whole. I never for the life of me can understand why do we have to schedule games 20 years in advance? I do not 10 know. Year. It makes no sense. We just saw in a COVID year, 
We can schedule games in a week. Why do we think, oh man, we got to get it done. We got to get it done in 20 years. It makes no sense because you think you have this great schedule. All this opponent's going to be fantastic. And then you get there 20 years later and they're terrible. And it's like, why are we playing this team? So I, I don't know why we do it. I wish we could change that, but that's that's a, a time for uh, another podcast. But all right, this is the secret question. We're going to be short and sweet here. Kelly has no clue what's coming right here. This is going to be a little bit more ridiculous. I was inspired by Instagram on this uh, for this question here. <laughs> Kelly Gramlich, for your pancakes in the morning, are you a plain Jane, don't want anything in them type of gal? Or do you like the blueberry pancakes, the chocolate chip pancakes, you know, flavor to add some, some you know, fun to your breakfast? Which, which, uh, which side are you on this argument? Wow, Mac, what a great question. Very random, but I have thoughts on this for sure. <laughs> My favorite type of pancake, without a doubt, I've got to have blueberry pancakes. Come on, that's right. I love blueberries normally, but there's something in it. So I like them that way, but there's something about putting them in a pancake and then getting some syrup on there. Oh my goodness. I'm all about the blueberries, Mac. What about you? You know, I, I was a little bit worried because, you know, you have a little bit of older generation tendencies. You go to bed at like four o'clock, you eat dinner at three. Mac thinks I'm a grandma. Yeah, all, all these different <laughs> things. So I thought you were going to go plain Jane. I was a little hey, worried. Hey, grandma's like uh, blueberry pancakes super, too. Maybe so. Maybe I'm misinterpreting this and misreading this. I'm with you 100%. I, I'm actually a chocolate chip banana oh my pancake guy. That, that's my go-to. It, it's killer. If you haven't tried it, you've got to do it. But get the get the plain pancakes out get of here. Out. Nobody, nobody wants Have it. you ever cooked pancakes <laughs> on the Traeger? No, but that sounds like an amazing... It, it sounds like burnt pancakes. Yeah, that would be tough. You have to do some really like. thick pancakes. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Well, guys, this was another great episode uh, produced by our great friend, Richmond Weaver, who, by the way, just won an Emmy for their efforts with Clemson's Greatest Games. Uh, I had the privilege to be a part of that. I think you were as well, Kelly Gramlich. So both of us uh, had a little bit to do with that project. And man, what an awesome accomplishment. Go check out his podcast, Rich Take on Sports, anywhere you get your podcasts. He does a great job with guests. And I know you guys hear me say this every single week, but any facet of life you want to hear a guest or hear a guest discuss, it's on there. Rich does a great job, has so many episodes. So we're super grateful for him and his production abilities to make us sound as good as always. But again, thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of Gramlick and MacLean, brought to you by our friends over at Traeger Grills. We always appreciate you guys listening. If you haven't already, go to iTunes, subscribe to our podcast, drop us a little five-star rating, a little review. We would greatly appreciate that. But until next time, we'll see y'all. <laughs>